This is BioBusters, Professors Hanging Out, Talking Science, episode number 50, recorded on January 5th, 2022. Hello, folks. You are listening to the podcast about all things science. I am Dr. Abby Abdallah, and I am here with Dr. Fawner today. No Keller again. That's okay. I mean, I missed last episode and you guys filled in wonderfully. Not filled in, but took over wonderfully. Oh, yeah, and now that I'm an episode, I forgot about that. Yeah. Now that I'm recovering, uh, again, nice about a three person booth or a three person team is yeah, yeah. You can redundancy. One. one goes down, there's still two to take the sure, reins. Sure. So it works out. So episode number 50. How about that? Feels like we've been doing this uh I don't know. We started this in what, 2017 or 18? 17 or 18. You and I started this thing. Uh, actually, I'm going to look, but you and I started this thing a few years back. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember, you know, we had what, a few listeners, if that. <laughs> and now we've, I mean, we've grown it substantially compared to where but, it was. Yeah, now I mean, we have a few plus some more. <laughs> yeah, a few plus more. But it's, uh, I mean, in terms of the number of topics we've covered, you know, I know recently in the last almost two years now, it's been a COVID heavy focus with all the developments in that arena. But, you know, beginnings of life, the origins of life, science conspiracies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all things science, we've covered a pretty good deal of a lot of different topics. So our first episode online that we posted on the website, was March 16th, 2018. Wow. But you and I started doing this as a radio show. Yep. On Teal College's radio. I remember that. Roughly a year before we started moving to the podcast format. Yeah, we did a lot of students. Um, we yeah, yeah. On we two we started we, we started a, as a radio show and then we moved it we moved it to the podcast. But here we are in our online uh, podcast ver- version. We are on episode fifty, which is exciting. Very cool. Yeah, and you know what? It's been a, a shitty couple of years in terms of <laughs> uh, pandemic and you know medical news and yeah. We did this last year and we thought, you know, we'd do it again. So we have a relatively non-science episode today. I mean, it's still science, but it's not, you know, it's not coronavirus. It's not. Yeah, this one is not Omicron. We we promise we'll do a whole episode on, on variants and Omicron and where we are with that. But yeah, big update on like COVID, the current stats, yeah. the Omicron, what it does compared New to other variants. Today, everybody freaking about yep. Florona, you know, flu and Corona. That that one is grinding my gears, but you know, we won't talk about that today. Not today. All right. So we're going to do the Ig Nobel Awards. So um, the Ig Nobel Awards, what are they? A satiric prize that honors achievements that first make people laugh. And then make them think, which have provided have been given annually since the early 90s, 1991. Yeah, 1991, I think. And uh, so they're like, what, on their 30th year or so, 31st year, something like that. Yeah. And, you know, what's funny from their website, they say, 
that the prize is presented for discoveries that cannot or should not be reproduced. I mean, talk about just an event itself that obviously doesn't really take itself seriously whatsoever and is purely no, no. designed to just laugh, especially now, like you said, with everything we've been through over the last not even two years. This is a much needed break from kind of the medical and scientific doom and gloom from the past two years, maybe. So the the event itself before the pandemic, so for, for the last two years, I think they've done it sort of over Zoom or remotely, right? But the event itself before the pandemic is kind of quite entertaining, right? So there's a... Uh, there's a little girl that they call Miss Sweetie Pooh who screams, please stop. I'm bored when speakers go on too long. They throw paper planes on the stage. Uh, there's a professor who's keeper of the broom. <laughs> he like sweeps the stage when there's too much paper. But, you know, the funny part about this is he skipped for one year. He wasn't there in 2005 because he was actually receiving his physics Nobel Prize. <laughs> you know, and that, I, I love that. There's like serious scientists who, you know, are there for the fun of science, right? Who are this just is, doing it. This reminds me of uh what was it in the now of course the show The Office was completely satirical. Oh, love that show, yeah. Love that. But what was the awards that uh Steve Corral, Michael Scott would take so seriously every year, but everybody else was like, yeah, of course this is a joke. The Dundies. The Dundies. The Dundies the Office Awards. Let me see. I'm pretty yeah, sure they was, are the Dundies. So they were called the Dundies, and you know, different categories. You know, best dressed office worker, uh, yeah, best yeah. salesman. But again, it's all done just completely. Everybody's in on the joke except Michael <laughs> Scott. Mm. Well, let's do let's do this year's uh, let's do this year's awards. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so let's start the, with the biology prize. So, what was the biology prize for? So it was for an analysis of the variations in purring, chirping, chattering, trilling, tweedling, murmuring, meowing, moaning, squeaking, hissing, yowling, howling, growling, and other modes of cat-human communication. (laughs) Which I never, uh, I, I guess I would never associate trilling and chattering and tweedling and Yeah, I kind of thought, you know, mouse, in my but... mind, cats meow, they purr, you know, hiss, but not not, not much uh, other than that. So um, apparently cats have a very large vocal repertoire, right? Yeah. And apparently they also vary their voices and melodic patterns. So these scientists, and there's what, three or four on, on this uh, study, and they're all from Sweden. Yeah. They used phonetic analysis, normally the type used to analyze human speech sounds to describe and characterize the different cat calls and their variations. Which is, I mean, the fact that, what, the five studies are kind of listed here to support yeah, uh, their it's a, conclusions it's a collection, and findings. Uh, yeah, from collection of studies. And you know what's funny about this? I don't know if you watch the awards, but you you can watch them, right? There's a recording mm-hmm. of them, and the one of the lead authors on 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 one of the studies did a her like um, they had an orc- orchestra and everything, and then she did the cat sounds. Yeah, 
which is just hilarious to watch. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking here at, you know, published since, what, 2011, almost yearly, they came out with a new study, uh, the one study, Melody in Human-Cat Communication, parentheses, Meowsic. That was pretty good. <laughs> I think that's uh, a fun on music, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's funny. Or, origins, past, present, and future, which... And these are folks uh, listening out there. These are these are peer-reviewed studies. You know, this is this is yeah. not. You know, <laughs> yeah, I hilarious. mean, this sounds like I, we have a cat ourselves, and you know, Kayla's the more cat person, and I'm more of the dog person. But I've never heard our cat uh, tweedle or trill or even chirp. Uh, a lot of hissing and a lot of meowing, but that's about it. Well, you know, if you had a second cat, maybe. Maybe right. Yeah, these are right. these are in, some of these are inter uh, cat to cat uh, communication. But, you know, although they focus on cat human communication. <laughs> so yeah, that was the like biology that. prize this year. The ecology prize went to uh, two groups who did uh, work in uh, Spain and Iran, and they used genetic analysis to identify different species of bacteria that reside in wads of discarded chewing gum stuck on pavements in various countries. <laughs> so, incredible. so basically analyzing what kind of bacteria live in, in gums on sidewalks. Yeah. And the way they did this is, I mean, they really took it a step, you know, further, uh, an in-depth study and well-controlled um, you, uh, I see here, you would think that they would just kind of go out on the sidewalk and randomly pick up pieces of discarded gum. They actually, in order to control their results in the experiment a bit more, they uh, planted the gum themselves and yeah, then waited I, a period I, I of time and collected it later. <laughs> they, they didn't just go out, collect gums. They went out, chewed gum, put it put it on sidewalks and then came back like, I don't know, months, a year later. And they're like, Oh, let's go collect the gum we planted and looked at bacterial species. That's incredible. Uh, again, talk about the, I guess the documents and the methods section, whenever that was eventually published, yeah. uh, where did you plant it? You know, where did you, how did you mark it up on a map? Um, did you grid and, it and, off? And know? this was published in scientific reports. Yeah. Right, the wasted chewing gum back, back bacterium in in uh, scientific reports came out in 2020. It's incredible. Yeah, good good study. Good study. This one is kind of more up uh, my alley. The chemistry uh, prize. Uh, yeah. 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 What about the so so who what what countries or scientists from what countries won that? So uh, a, a few different countries, Germany, the UK, uh, New Zealand, Cyprus, uh, Greece, and Austria. And um, they chemically analyzed the air that is found inside of movie theaters with the aim of testing whether the odors produced by an audience reliably indicate the levels of violence, sex, antisocial behavior, drug use, and bad language in the movie that the audience is experiencing and watching. Yeah, this Which, one, uh, this one was cool. I, I thought it was, I mean, I thought it was cool, right? Because, I mean, you think of these things and you're like, yeah, I suppose that happens. But then I, I guess you never think someone is going to go out there and test it. So 
you know how they have these like giant machines well they're not giant but i mean these machines that sort of measure chemistry and chemical composition in the air right so they mm-hmm. have this one that's normally used to like sort of investigate chemistry and you know in the amazon rainforest so mm-hmm. they, they decided to just take it to a movie theater and they looked at what chemicals uh, are sort of like being released by the audience and corresponded that with sort of like scenes in the films so basically and, people are like breathing and releasing all these chemicals as they respond to the movie and there's different chemicals uh as as they respond to different kinds of you know scenes or movies right which which i thought was just hilarious like one one of one of the studies is you know uh cinema data mining the smell of fear <laughs> which i well, thought was you know it's funny yeah and then the other the other study um essentially based on the title and i'd actually i might look this one up and just read through kind of the different types of organic compounds they were able to detect and how they can be used but the title of this study hints at using what volatile organic compounds they detected as tools for class of age classification of the films that they yeah, were watching yeah. no that's interesting and that one was a plus one i mean that that's, that's not, incredible. you know, that's not a negligible journal, right? That's awesome. I like that one. Yeah, yeah, no. I th- I thought I thought this one was 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 fun, you know, and but yeah, interesting. How about, about the, the uh, uh, economics prize? So that one was uh France, um UK, Switzerland, Australia, Austria, and the Czech Republic. And they received this for discovering that the obesity of a country's politicians may be a good indicator of that country's corruption. Wow. That's, that's, yeah, no, uh, I, th- I thought this was funny, that's but a link. you know, after you read it and you're like, that's what they were awarded the thing for. You're like, oh, okay, I see. I see. I, I see that. Right. Like I can, I can make that association. Yeah. But obviously it's, it's in a way, fat shaming right but i could you know i i could see i i could see how because you know that that your like sort of depiction of uh in in movies even you're like the depiction of like sort of a corrupt politician Somebody, is usually someone who's a bit on the obese side yeah no i, I would agree with that again whether that's kind of accurate or not anytime you think of or i mean any tv show or any movie i've ever watched and somebody's corrupt it's not like you're looking i don't know like a Brad pitt type let's say who ends up being yeah it's usually like your like fat cat banker type mm-hmm. situation yeah yeah you know but yeah. so and they didn't do it sort of so so they didn't do it themselves so they had a computer software analyze so they downloaded pictures of politicians from the internet and then sort of they ran them through an artificial sort of neural network that estimated body mass index or BMI, which is sort of a measure of obesity. We can get into BMI, how it's not the greatest measure of obesity. Whatever, no, it's right? but quite, yeah, quite yeah, imprecise. That's not, yep. <laughs> that's not what we're here for. But anyway, so, so they, they the software estimated BMI and then they found that sort of politicians uh, from countries perceived as corrupt had a high estimated body mass index. 
And the opposite was true, apparently. And again, this would be one to look at a little bit more in depth to see which countries did they measure from, like the cabinet ministers. Uh, I see here the title, Obesity of Politicians and Corruption in Post-Soviet Countries. Yeah, right? I th- I, yeah, and uh, I, th- I think they focused on that uh, group of countries, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, the next the one other, is interesting. Uh, the uh, prize for medicine in the UK, Turkey, and Germany. This group wanted for demonstrating that sexual organa- orgasms can be as effective as decongestant medicines at improving nasal breathing. Okay. So I kind of looked into this a little bit more. Apparently, there's a longer history to that. Uh, this was in in Western literature, at the very least, it was it was first postulated by Sigmund Freud and uh, Wilhelm Fleece, and okay. they had theories about the nasogenital reflex that uh, sexual orgasms can have an effect on nasal breathing. And uh, <laughs> these researchers, I guess, you know, got together and they said, "Hey, let's test it." And then they found that sexual intercourse and orgasms can improve nasal breathing to the same extent or degree as a congestive nasal spray. Now, just an FYI for our listeners, we are by no means promoting that anybody who is congested and potentially (laughs) ill or sick seek this out as uh, a way to alleviate being congested, you know, to open up the airways. At least not the sole method of congestion. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, of relieving congestion. But again, thinking about this, uh, the Ear, Nose, and Throat Journal, and this was published last year in 2021, Mm -hmm. uh, the title was Can Sex Improve Nasal Function? An Exploration of the Link Between Sex and Nasal Function. Wow. So had you heard of the nasogenital reflex before this? I'll tell you, this is the first I've heard of it. I'll be completely honest. Yeah. So I did find some article from like 1988 that talked about Freud, fleece, and the nasogenital reflex, how it's sort of a widely accepted theory that disappeared from the literature. Uh, But yeah, there's there's enough stuff uh, online about this. Uh, Interesting also stories between... Freud and Fleece, and uh, one may have experimented on the other. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hazy on the details, but <laughs> yeah, hazy on the details on that one. But yeah, I, th- I thought it was interesting. I had never heard of the nasogenital reflex before this Man. one, and you know, it, it took me on a rabbit hole. No, I was going to say, I doubt this is going to be covered in any basic or clinical neuroscience course. No, I don't think it was going to show up in uh, my cor- my class anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, probably won't be mentioned on any board exam questions coming up anytime I soon. <laughs> How about uh, the a- uh, Peace Prize? This one was funny. That was uh, solely in the U.S. And these individuals wanted for testing the hypothesis that humans evolved beards to protect themselves from punches to the face. That is a pretty well cushioned and really hefty significant beard I, i've never had a beard that thick where it could protect me there but uh so, so it was it, it was published in integrative organismal biology 
impact protection potential of mammalian hair, uh, testing the hypothesis for the evolution of human facial hair. So these guys observed, and you know, let's put observed in quotations here, that males have beards covering the parts of their face where they're likely to get punched, right? And apparently, since they could not punch each other to test this, they 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 put they put together sort of this male face uh, model by gluing sheep fleece to an epoxy composite sheet to model facial bones. <laughs> <laughs> then they dropped known weights on these to like mimic punches, whatever. And what the finding at the end was that. Total energy absorbed was 37% greater when the sample was bearded, which I I, I think there's, I, I I mean, I truly deserving of an ignoble. Let's put it that way. No, I, for I sure. I think out of anything we've, <laughs> out of anything we've talked about so far, this is probably the ignoblest. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. I mean, I don't, I don't think the beard I got is that much. Maybe the fat I, mean, I, I just have shaved, on my face so. is more is more padding than the beard. <laughs> but I mean, think about too: males have beards covering the parts of their face where they're likely to get punched. I think it's just as likely to get knocked right in my cheekbone or in my mouth compared to my nose, which obviously doesn't have hair, or maybe up here in the orbital sockets that's yeah, probably going to yeah. cause damage. Yeah. That's yeah, a, that's a stretch, but yeah, I, I don't know if they accounted. I mean, I'm, I don't know if they accounted for a lot of things. I mean, I've got a giant nose, you know, I, that could be the first thing to get hit on my face. I don't know. There's a lot of you know volume there. Well, glasses too. I mean, see somebody sure. with glasses. Sure. Hey, yeah. it might yeah. be fun to break those. Who knows? But you know, it's 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 funny. Facial hair has been sort of postulated many many times as to like what's the purpose of it right yeah um i remember reading studies a few years back where uh people thought you know mustaches could trap bacteria and viruses before they enter your nose you know Mm -hmm. things like that less likely to get you know uh, respiratory diseases but yeah I, i don't know if i've ever seen solid data on any on any of that Yeah, it's, I mean, anything that I've ever read, or I think we might have read one of those in like a senior seminar course back at, uh, back at Teal, but nothing I've ever read has 100% confirmed that in terms of like their conclusions. But I mean, it is, it is interesting as to why males have beards and females don't. I don't know if I know the answer. Maybe the answer is out there and I'm just not aware of it. Right. Or why as hominid species evolved they retained facial hair and not mm-hmm. hair somewhere else right you know if yeah. you look at other ape species they have hair all over we yep. just we we don't right so why were we selected for in terms of certain areas and yeah yeah of the body I mean, these especially are, up here yeah yeah i think these are interesting questions that maybe the again maybe the answer is out there i just don't know but if it relates to getting punched in the face <laughs> yeah well how about the physics what about the price? uh yeah, uh, Netherlands, Italy, Taiwan, and the U.S. And this group wanted for conducting experiments to learn why pedestrians do not constantly collide with other pedestrians. Uh, Which, uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, interesting concept, interesting question. 
However, uh, they didn't control for whether or not cell phones were used in that respect. Correct. Yeah. Not in that, not in that study. Uh, so I mean, (laughs) it's funny that we need the study for, but I mean, my guess is that people are looking up, right? So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but they did, they did model this, you know, it was, uh, it was in physical review, uh, you know, published, uh, physics-based modeling and data representation of pairwise interactions among pedestrians. And what's interesting this year is that they paired the uh, physics prize with the kinetics prize in the mm-hmm. kinetics prize went to scientists from Japan, Switzerland, and Italy, and they conducted experiments to learn of why pedestrians do sometimes collide with other pedestrians rather than not collide with each other. So they kind of looked at the opposite study Mm -hmm. and these guys showed the impact of cell phones on, you know, pedestrian impact. So (laughs) I guess I was, I, I read these and I was thinking 20, what would have been 20 years ago? That would have been 90, or no, I'm sorry. Wow. What, what am I talking about? That yeah, would have been 2002. Yes, so, yes. wow, geez. Oh, uh, so let's say 30 years ago, that would have been 92, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there were cell phones at that point, like the big cell phones. I can't remember. They were starting the fr- to come out. Yeah, yeah. The, okay. Motor- the Motorola that was as, as, as thick as this uh, microphone. <laughs> Yeah, you could throw it at somebody if you wanted to. And oh, that was a lethal weapon for sure. Uh-huh. But think about before they became truly like mobile. I'm trying to show my uh-huh. cell phone here. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But when you were walking, like what did you really, what were you doing? Because you obviously weren't looking down at your huge brick Motorola cell phone that was more a car phone. Well, I mean, they had no screens, right? Mm-hmm. They were just yeah. to dial. So they just had punch like you know buttons for numbers yeah i guess uh i guess if you're walking around and maybe reading something just to while the time away but i would imagine that impacts and collisions have definitely increased in the last 30 years compared to greater than 30 i mean i've done it where i'm walking i'm checking a text and before i know it i happen to look up just in time to not bowl somebody over so uh the Funny for me, the title of the study is funny because it's talk about an understatement, right? Mutual anticipation can contribute to self-organization in human crowds. I like <laughs> talk that. about a title that literally, it's an excellent title because it, it mm-hmm. summarizes the whole study, gives yep. away the main findings, and mm-hmm. you know, it's just a massive understatement. Uh, how yeah, about the entomology uh... prize? So that one was uh, this group. It was from the U.S., right? And uh-huh. they were awarded the Ig Nobel for their research study, um, a new method of cockroach control on submarines, which I guess, I mean, in a submarine, you have an infestation of cockroaches. That's probably not going to be the uh, best time out no, at sea, no. right? So and, this one um, is an old one. So this was a study uh, published in 1971 in the Journal of Economic Entomology. Not just the Journal of Entomology, which also piqued my interest, the Journal of Economic Entomology. So, uh, which, you know, of course, there are economic uses for entomology. Think of 
biological pest control, right? Mm-hmm. You can use ladybugs to control aphids. Everybody thinks of ladybugs as these cute little sweet, you know, insects or whatever. And these things are brutal carnivores. They can eat 50 other insects in one day. I mean, it's, it's amazing yeah. what they can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, so this guy uh, worked for the Navy and he had come up with this new method at the time of cockroach control. And it turns out that the reason they needed a new method is because the old method used something called a carboxide gas. And a carboxide gas is a combination of carbon dioxide and ethylene oxide. So it turns out uh, they fumigated a submarine with this carboxide gas and it was in the winter. Mm-hmm. So the submarine was cold. So in the ethylene oxide condensed into liquid on the surfaces inside the submarine. So when the submarine warmed back up, mm. that uh, ethylene oxide that had condensed into liquid uh, went turned back into gas. And apparently some Navy sailors got really sick from that. Yeah. And, uh, and the Navy was like, okay, we need a new method. And this guy... <laughs> This guy apparently uh, came up with a new method. Yeah. Which I mean, just think I mean, about I don't know what term. they do now, right? This was in the 70s, but he got the prize, the Ignore Prize for it this year. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what the Navy does now for pest. I mean, that, that is interesting, though. I mean, I think about you think about the time that's spent out there, the close quarters, the fact that there's only so much space, right? And I wonder how long it took after the um, ethylene oxide turned back to gas. I wonder how long it takes for that to eventually exert its effects. Like, are they in the submarine for days? Before they start getting, you mean before the Navy people got sick? Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. No, interesting. And then you, you just don't, at the beginning, I, I, I suppose you just don't know what's causing it. Right. And maybe you start quarantining people and, well, yeah, I mean, it's again, it's scary to think that, especially if it happens at sea and you have no, there's nothing. I mean, you're completely like, isolated. You got to wait to come back up, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. What about um, this? The final one. What about the transportation price? Where was that at, and what did they do? This was one of my favorites, I have to say, and that's why I left it for last. So, this transportation prize was awarded to uh, a couple of people based in Namibia. South Africa, Tanzania, Zimbabwe, Brazil, UK, and the USA. And they won this for determining by experiment whether it is safer to transport an airborne rhinoceros upside down or right side up. (laughs) So so the reason this all came about is because they had a couple uh, rhinos rhinoceroses right that's the is that the plural it's not rhinoceros right yeah it's rhinoceros no no rhinoceros sounds yeah. better so they had they had a couple of rhinoceroses on uh, in a breeding area a conservation area and they needed to move them from that sort of breeding area to a remote area so they can run wild etc mm-hmm. and uh they had to look at what's the most efficient, what's the safest, what's the fastest way of transporting these rhinos from the one area to the next. And they determined that that was by helicopter. Mm-hmm. But they did not know how to tie the animals. 
right? Which, again, you think about the basic concept here and you think about that title, which is, I mean, it's funny, right? Uh, whether it is safer to transport an airborne rhinoceros upside down or not. But you have to consider the effects of the animals depending on the orientation on uh-huh. pulmonary function, absolutely, on circulatory uh-huh. function, uh-huh. on metabolic function via the I mean, circulation. think of hanging upside down. If you were to hang upside down for an extended period of time, right? Yeah. Yeah. How would you feel, right? Like, oh, good. So exactly, right? So, and since rhinos are extremely endangered right mm-hmm. so it, it was important to not jeopardize uh, jeopardize the lives of these rhinos so they set up the experiments they first tested different humans uh, on helicopter rides <laughs> different animals including humans on helicopter rides they used cranes to determine the best way to lift the animals then they determined eventually for these rhinos that the best way to transport them was upside down and that's incredible. I would imagine seeing that. I would just, I wouldn't know what the <laughs> yeah. hell I was looking You're at. You're in like some wow. city or village or some road driving in Africa. And then you see a helicopter whizzing by with a rhino upside yeah. down. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be the pilot for that. It's a lot of pressure on that pilot. Well, they also apparently did not raise them too far up. They were only a few, uh, a few inches off the ground. They were not, they were not that far off, right? They were- wow. Yeah, they were they were pretty low. Wow. Yeah, the uh, uh, study is in the Journal of Wildlife Diseases, and the title is "The Pulmonary and Metabolic Effects of Suspension by the Feet Compared with Lateral Recumbency in Immobilized Black Rhinoceroses." Wow. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, so obviously see- they were they were um, uh, anesthetized. Or, you know, mm-hmm. what's the word I'm looking for? It is anesthetized, right? That's the word. Yeah, I'm anesthetized. For. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, interesting, uh, interesting study, I guess. But I mean, the rhino is a huge animal, too. I mean, these things are tons, right? But that's why such care has to be. I mean, you read that title and you kind of chuckle and laugh at first, but thinking about it from a wildlife conservation and ecological standpoint and just from like a feat of engineering transporting these things across large distances for that period of time, you got to cover all of your bases. And based on this, it looks like they did. Yeah. I mean, especially when you're down to just a few rhinos uh, in the wild, right? So uh, we're talking a population size that maybe is not evolutionary or slash biologically uh, viable anymore, right? Yeah, true. Other than breeding artificially, right? Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, interesting study. Yeah, these were fun. Yeah, yeah, I know. This is uh, honestly one of my favorite episodes. (laughs) I'm glad glad we started the year with this one. And um, we'll get back to uh, slightly more serious, uh, even though I'd argue some of this is serious science. No, I would too. It's peer reviewed. It's, uh, you know, science that's, you know, done, done well, but, you know, uh, some may argue the subject matter, uh, but you know, a little I, bit I'm, I'm in favor side. of all science, whether we think it has relevance now or not down the line, it may have relevance. Right. But I mean, that's so cool. Going back to the movie theater one, yeah. you will expel and able to detect in the environment 
certain organic compounds based on what you are watching, hence what you are feeling and experiencing huh. yeah. in a movie theater. That's uh-huh. first which, off, we which, which, will, which can or may have other uh, implications. Applications, the, yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, that is the purpose of this ignoble award is, is science that makes you laugh, then makes you think. Yep. Right. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah, no, I thought, uh, I mean, they're, they're all cool. They're all cool. But that's, um, that's the end of our show today. We'll, we'll do our next episode. We'll do uh, a lot more on Omicron and the variants and Florona, which, you know, they're trying to freak people. Uh, yeah, it's starting news, to. News people are trying to freak people out with this Florona. Oh, Florona detected. No, it's just a patient infected with two things. Can we move on? Yeah, you know, um, Kayla and I just determined this yesterday and came to the decision. We've been, for maybe the last year, we would, uh, we had YouTube TV because regular cable was just too expensive. And then we finally- And it's trash. And it's trash. But we came to the determination, okay, how much are we even watching of this YouTube TV anymore that we can't find either on movies that I own or Mm. like streaming? Mm -hmm. And- the only thing that we thought, okay, well, we might miss the news in the morning. And then we both realized we haven't watched news, the Today Show, in months. I remember like pre-pandemic, I would flip that on just to hear, okay, here's what's currently morning like, news as you get morning dressed news. or whatever. Yeah. 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 Now I get everything just online, like a quick yeah. Google yeah. search or, yeah. you know, yeah. like Twitter feeds of news that I follow. We no, it's it's, it's rubbish, watched. man. I I I don't. I rarely watch TV. You 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 know this. I mean, yep. there was a period of what six seven years I didn't have a TV in my house. Mm-hmm. I was like, get this thing out of here, right? Um, now 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 I have one, right? <laughs> you know, I I I, I converted st- stream things every once in a while, right? But um, every time I go visit my uh at my parents' house, my my mom loves noise in the background. Right. Yep. So, you know, she, she, she just likes to feel like, you know, whatever, there's something going on in the house. Right. And um, it's on local news almost always. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, man, apps, I, I don't know how people tune into these things all the time. Yeah. Absolute rubbish. Yeah. I can't, I, I Garbage. lose interest. And in, again, is what's happening pandemic wise and with COVID and the variants, is it important to know? And that's why we discuss it. Yeah, it is. But when it is sensationalistically, if that's a word. That's the thing. It's for clicks. It's for subscriptions. It's for ratings. Mm-hmm. Like this whole Florona thing. Like like all of a sudden there's a new disease. No, no. Mm-hmm. There's a patient infected with the flu and infected with coronavirus. Under any other circumstance, we'll call this a double infection or a person infected it's with X and Y. It's already it's already been coined. It's happened. It's, it's insane. Forever. It's insane. We people in the, come into the hospital in infectious diseases uh, in Africa. There are kids with three, four different kinds of parasites all the time. This is yep. nothing. Oh my God, new disease, oh, florona. Now get it's out nothing of here. where it's nothing where we have to start panicking or. But that's what it up. is, right? I mean, it, the the amount of panic I saw online about it today. I'm like Jesus. Yeah, I agree. But anyway, we'll talk. We'll talk That's about a preview. All of that. That's a preview for our <laughs> next episode. Yeah, we'll for, talk about uh, all of that episode, in the next yeah. episode. Absolutely. Uh, anything else, friend? 
I think that's it. Uh, I guess some news updates coming, some cool science in the news from the last few weeks and last month in terms of new studies that have come out. We'll uh, talk about that not only on future episodes, but also drop some informative and cool uh, Instagram posts. Yeah, I've, some been, stuff that we uh, found. I've been I've been lax on that. Uh, well, it's the I'll, holidays yeah, and I'll, I'll start of the new year. I'll, I'll get back to it. Yeah, I think it's fine. But, you know, my, my course yep, is uh, started, uh, you know, this week. So it's been busy. It's, I think it's, it's been not rough, but it's been kind of getting back into the swing of yeah, things yeah. after having students off for a few weeks. Yeah. But you know what? I'm glad I'm back in the classroom. Uh, yeah, me too. I like the student interaction. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love, I love teaching, but anyway, that's our show for today. You can email us at thebiobusters at gmail.com. Make sure to check out our Instagram page. Subscribe, share. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Amazon Music. You can find the videos on Daily Motion. We have links to all of these in the show notes. Follow and share. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Thank you. See you.